0: The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is Father John Zollsdorf and another podcast. We welcome as our guest today Giovanni Battista Montini, Pope Paul VI, blessed Pope Paul VI, who died in 1978. Today we will hear an apostolic letter which he penned in 1966 in the fourth year of his pontificate. It's about the use of Latin and Gregorian chant by religious. Another day I saw at the website of the Latin Mass Society of England and Wales an old letter of Pope Paul VI concerning the use of Latin by religious institutes in their choral recitation of the office. The apostolic letter is called Sacrificium Laudis. It is available in Latin on the Vatican website, but it is also available in English on the website of the aforementioned Latin Mass Society, in a translation prepared by Father Thomas Crean O.P. He's a Dominican priest. In this podcast, I propose simply to read for you the English translation from Father Crean of Paul VI's letter. As you listen, tune your ears for the following items of interest. First. Listen for how Pope Paul makes a connection between the use of Latin and Gregorian chant and vocations to the religious life. It seems to me that this connection can still be seen today. Traditional groups of religious which have either maintained or started up with Latin and Gregorian chant anew for their choral office seem to have abundant vocations. Another point to listen for is how Pope Paul practically begs them to keep the use of Latin and Gregorian chant. He speaks about the beauty of the language and the chant and how they would become rapidly bored by the use of the vernacular and newly cobbled up ditties. And this is indeed the case in my experience. I find the recitation of the office in English, uh, especially with the Little melodies that have been cobbled up uh, to be dreadfully dull. Listen also for how Pope Paul lays down the law. He cites the Second Vatican Council, which explicitly says that religious are to retain the use of Latin, and he also cites instructions on how the documents of the Second Vatican Council concerning liturgy are supposed to be implemented. They're very clear Latin and Gregorian chant are to be preserved. Toward the end, Paul simply orders them to obey. Of course, we all know how that turned out. Finally, the Pope says that he is commanding this not because of an excessive love of old ways. Instead, he is concerned about them with fatherly love and he's concerned about divine worship. So, let us now hear Pope Paul VI's apostolic letter Saka Laudis. <laughs> Cistula Apostolica Sacrificium Laudis, ad Moderatores Generales, Religionum Clericalium, Cori obligationi ad Svictarum. Filii, Salutem et Apostolicam benedictionem Sacrificium Laudis, Ostia Labiorum Confidentium Dominum, Salmodia et Hymnodia, to the supreme moderators of clerical religious institutes obliged to the choral recitation of the divine office. Beloved sons, health and apostolic blessing, your families, dedicated as they are to God, have always held in honor as an offering from lips that confess to our Lord the sacrifice of praise, that is, The psalms and hymns by which the hours, days, and seasons of the year are hallowed with religious devotion, in the midst of which the Eucharistic sacrifice shines, as it were like the sun, and draws all things to itself. With good reason it is held that nothing should be preferred to so holy a work as this it is not difficult to perceive how much honor is rendered by it to the creator of all things or what benefits it confers upon the church you have proved by following this fixed and unceasing manner of prayer what importance divine worship has for human society yet from letters which some of you have sent and from many other sources We learn that discordant practices have been introduced into the sacred liturgy by your communities or provinces. We speak of those only that belong to the Latin rite. For while some are very faithful to the Latin language, others wish to use the vernacular within the choral office. Others, in various places, wish to exchange that chant which is called Gregorian for newly minted melodies. Indeed, some even insist that Latin should be wholly suppressed. We must acknowledge that we have been somewhat disturbed and saddened by these requests. One may well wonder what the origin of this new way of thinking and this sudden dislike for the past. One may well wonder why these things have been fostered. You yourselves know well how greatly we love your religious families and how we value them, you can have no doubt of this we have often marveled at the examples of outstanding holiness and the products of deep learning which ennoble them we think it a happiness if we are able in any lawful and fitting way to support them to comply with their wishes to take thought for their betterment yet those things that we have mentioned are occurring even though the Second Ecumenical Vatican Council has after due deliberation declared its mind in solemn fashion, Sacro Sanctum Concilium, 101, paragraph 1, and after the publication of clear norms and subsequent instructions. In the first instruction, Ad executionem constitutioniste sacra liturgia recte ordinandam, published on the 26th of September, 1964, it was decreed as follows. In celebrating the divine office in choir, clerics are bound to preserve the Latin language. Number 85. In the second instruction, De lingua in celebrandi officio divino et misa conventuali aut comunitatis apud religiosos adibenda, published on the 23rd of November, 1965, that law was reinforced, and at the same time due consideration was shown for the spiritual advantage of the faithful and for the special conditions which prevail in missionary territories. Therefore, for as long as no other lawful provision is made, these laws are in force and require the obedience in which religious must excel as dear sons of holy church. What is in question here is not only the retention within the choral office of the Latin language, though it is of course right that this should be eagerly guarded and should certainly not be lightly esteemed. For this language is, within the Latin church, an abundant wellspring of Christian civilization and a very rich treasure trove of devotion. But it is also the seemliness, the beauty and the native strength of these prayers and canticles, which is at stake, the choral office itself, the lovely voice of the church in song. Confer St. Augustine's Confessions, Book 9, Paragraph 6. Your founders and teachers, the holy ones who are, as it were, so many lights within your religious families, have transmitted this to you the traditions of the elders your glory throughout long ages must not be belittled indeed your manner of celebrating the choral office has been one of the chief reasons why these families of yours have lasted so long and happily increased it is thus most surprising that under the influence of a sudden agitation some now think that it should be given up in present conditions What words or melodies could replace the forms of Catholic devotion which you have used until now? You should reflect and carefully consider whether things would not be worse should this fine inheritance be discarded. It is to be feared that the choral office would turn into a mere bland recitation, suffering from poverty and begetting weariness, as you yourselves would perhaps be the first to experience. One can also wonder whether men would come in such numbers to your churches in quest of the sacred prayer, if its ancient and native tongue, joined to a chant full of grave beauty, resounded no more within your walls. We therefore ask all those to whom it pertains to ponder what they wish to give up, and not to let that spring run dry from which until the present they have themselves drunk deep. Of course, the Latin language presents some difficulties, and perhaps not inconsiderable ones for the new recruits to your holy ranks. But such difficulties, as you know, should not be reckoned insuperable. This is especially true for you who can more easily give yourselves to study, being more set apart from the business and bother of the world. Moreover, those prayers with their antiquity, their excellence, their noble majesty will continue to draw to you young men and women called to the inheritance of our Lord. On the other hand, that choir from which is removed this language of wondrous spiritual power, transcending the boundaries of the nations, and from which is removed this melody proceeding from the innermost sanctuary of the soul, where faith dwells and charity burns, we speak of Gregorian chant, Such a choir will be like to a snuffed candle, which gives light no more, no more attracts the eyes and minds of men. In any case, beloved sons, the requests mentioned above concerned such grave matters that we are unable to grant them, or to derogate now from the norms of the council and of the instructions noted above. Therefore, we earnestly beseech you that you would consider this complex question under all its aspects. From the goodwill which we have toward you, and from the good opinion which we have of you, we are unwilling to allow that which could make your situation worse, and which could well bring you no slight loss, and which would certainly bring a sickness and sadness upon the whole church of God. Allow us to protect your interests, even against your own will. It is the same church which has introduced the vernacular into the sacred liturgy for pastoral reasons, that is, for the sake of people who do not know Latin, which gives you the mandate of preserving the age-old solemnity, beauty, and dignity of the choral office, in regard both to language and to the chant. Obey, then, these prescriptions, sincerely and calmly. It is not an excessive love of old ways that prompts them. They derive, rather, from our fatherly love for you and from our concern for divine worship. Finally, we impart most willingly to you and to your religious, as an earnest of heavenly gifts and as a sign of our favor, the apostolic blessing in our Lord. Given at Rome at St. Peter's, on the 15th day of the month of August, on the Feast of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary in the year 1966, the fourth of our pontificate. was Paul VI's apostolic letter Sacrificium Laudis. It was obeyed about to the same degree that the whole church obeyed John XXIII's apostolic constitution on Latin, Veterum Sapientia. It won't surprise any of you that I think the Latin should return to much, much wider use in the Latin rite of the Latin Church. It is important for our identity as Catholics. There are also some practical reasons for a resumption of Latin. Uh, Just to name a few off the top of my head, it sure would make improvisation of texts a little more challenging. Uh, Latin also improves the workings of the mind. It teaches you how to think. Uh, Furthermore, there was a period not too long ago when if you didn't know Latin, you were considered to be ignorant. Latin connects us across borders and cultures and centuries. It brings us into unity with our forebears. Latin, therefore, provides for a unity of prayer, not only with our ancestors, but with those of us who are far away. Everybody talks about how once upon a time when they would travel, the Mass was the same everywhere. Everyone could pray together, even though you were in a different country where a different language was spoken latin opens up a treasury of sacred music the abandoning of latin slammed shut the treasury the door to the treasury of sacred music uh, if you're not going to use latin then basically what do we got um, there was no real sacred music to replace latin and so we wound up with some pretty dreadful stuff over the last few decades Latin unchains us from the slavery to translations of great works of theology. We can get right into their their mind, their genius, without depending on someone else's opinion of how it is to be read. So I think we have to ask some questions about what it means for us as a church, as the Latin church, if we never hear the language of our right. I think it has a debilitating effect on us, an enervating effect on our whole church. Certainly we are not helped or made better or stronger if our priests and our bishops are ignorant of the language that identifies our church. Furthermore, it smacks of a certain disregard for law. Uh, the Code of Canon Law in for the Latin Church in Canon 249 requires, it does not suggest, it requires that all seminarians be taught Latin. They are to be taught Latin uh, to proficiency. The language actually says bene caleant. Caleo. Uh, the Latin verb "caleo" means to be very well versed with something. This is where we get the Latin word, the English word "callous." You get calluses on your hands when you are well skilled at something because you've done it again and again and again. Well, in this case, they also pair that up with "bene," so it means very well skilled in the Latin language. They are also to be well skilled in their mother tongue and also any other language useful for their ministry. Well, in these United States, uh, certainly you could make a case that seminarians should be taught Spanish. But of course, Spanish will come a lot more easily if you have Latin. No? In any event, the code of canon law requires, it does not suggest, that all seminarians learn Latin. And so when people stand up, uh, for example, a seminary rector stands up in front of a bishop and says, yes, I attest that these men have been properly formed, well, they really haven't been if they haven't been taught Latin or the older form of Mass. Now, the problem is that by the time men come to the seminary these days, that they are often a little older now than once upon a time. And it's a little late to be try to bring them from zero to 60 concerning Latin in four years. So what are we supposed to do about this? Are we supposed to add a couple more years of formation? I can hear the seminarians who are listening to this screaming their objections at this point. Uh, Should we add more years of formation? I don't know. We should perhaps have a couple propedeutic years for Latin and Greek and uh, other basics of a classical liberal education, which they ought to have had uh, before, uh, which a Catholic seminary formation really presupposes. Uh, So what do we cut from the curriculum to make room for this? I don't know. Uh, But the fact is that men have to have some kind of foundation for Latin. It would be better if they had it before they got to major seminary, but somehow it has to be done. We can't give up on this. We have to, if they don't have any Latin coming into seminary, we have to start them with it and then keep it going all the way through. It just has to be done. If the men also need Spanish, well, they're certainly going to be aided in their acquisition of Spanish by learning Latin. So, to sum up, at least as far as seminaries are concerned, a focus on Latin, I think, is actually better for seminarians than Spanish because they are, after all, being trained to be priests of the Latin church, and it is the language of their right, after all. They need Latin for academics. Uh, It helps them learn English, which really more and more can't be assumed today. Uh, The law requires it, And someone has to attest that the ordinands were properly trained. And with Latin, they can learn Spanish more easily. And I'm sure you can think of your own reasons why they should learn Latin. In any event, now you know something about Pope Paul VI's apostolic letter, Sacrificium Laudis. God bless you all, and please pray for me as I will for you.